0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. This morning we are beginning a brand new series, uh, walking through the book of 1 John. Uh, And the Apostle John, who wrote this book, 1 John, same John who wrote the Gospel of John. But in this book, he gives us kind of like a little bit more unique look at himself. Uh, And just to give you guys some perspective, a few years ago, uh, we walked through the book of the Gospel of John, when I say a few years ago, like 2014, which is more than a few, but yeah, a while ago. So we walked through the book of the Gospel of John uh, in 2014. And when we did, I didn't pay much attention to it then because it wasn't our main focus. But I want to show you something before we jump into the book of First John from the Gospel of John that will help us understand a lot of what John is trying to communicate in the book of First John. And somebody keep track of how many times I say John because you're going to hear that a lot. All right, so in... The Gospel of John, this is what we read. I want to share this with you. This is uh, at the Last Supper. And John writes that after he had said this, chapter 13, verse 21, after he, meaning Jesus, had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Right? Whole big thing, Just, just, just bear with me for a minute. This is where I want you to pay attention to. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he met. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means." And I want you to pay attention because time after time after time, multiple times, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He did it here, and then he does it later in uh, John chapter 19. Uh, This is when Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. Jesus, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. So again, John's telling us about that whole scenario, but John again refers to himself as the disciple whom he, Jesus, loved. Then, again, John chapter 21, uh, the disciples, they go back to fishing. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus shows up. He sees that they're fishing. He says, hey, have you guys caught any fish? They said, no. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "It's the Lord." And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, "It's the Lord," he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. So again, he's referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus—excuse <coughs> me—whom Jesus loved. And then again, this is this is—he's having a conversation with them uh, where he's telling them, "Here's what your future looks like," right? And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw that, the phrase again, the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And in, just in case we haven't caught on to who that is, he says, John adds this parenthetical statement, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord Who's going to betray you? So, how many people see that John wanted people to know that Jesus loved him, right? He he reiterates that over and over and over, and hopefully we see that John wants us to know that Jesus loves us, because then John takes that that whole message of uh, Jesus's love, and it's throughout all of his letters right? So much so, so much so, uh, and let me make sure I have this right, so much so that in the gospel of John, he uses the word love or loving or some form of the word or some indication of God's love 57 times, right? Then in the book that we're going to walk through, first John, he uses it 40 times. And then in second and third John, he uses it seven times, I think four in one and three in the other, and I forget which is which. Now, Overall, John uses that concept and that word and talks about God's love more than any other book in the Bible. The only the only challenger to John is the book of Psalms, which used 157 times, but John uses it like I think somebody checked my math 104 times, right? Psalms has 150 chapters. John doesn't write 150 chapters, right? He writes, I think, a total of 21 in uh, the Gospel of John. And then he writes five in 1 John. And then he writes 2 chap- John is one chapter. Third John is one chapter. So overall, by volume, plus Psalms is written by multiple authors. John wrote all of these. So overall, by volume, John talks about God's love and loving one another and the aspect of love more than any other writer in the New Testament and more than kind of like all of them because that's his focus. And when you get to the book of 1 John, it has some of the Bible's greatest content on how we, the people of God, are supposed to love one another, right? So pop quiz just to see if anyone's been paying attention. And that's why we have like three coffee stations and sugar to keep you guys up and awake Pop quiz, what do you think the overarching theme of the book of First John is based on everything we just discussed? If you had to take a wild guess, and just to help you out, I'm going to put this back up on the screen just to help you out, how many people would say that probably one of the primary themes of 1 John is, hey, how to love one another? Raise your hand if you kind of agree. I was hoping every hand would be raised. Right. Yeah, there you go. Even the children, like, yeah, because they were paying attention. Yeah, that's, that's the theme, right? That's the message that John is trying to get across. Now, um, he actually shares a couple of themes, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But whenever we start through a book of the Bible, uh, we, 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 we spend so much time focusing on like the background and the theme and the information and why it's relevant to us and why it's important to us that we don't jump through a whole bunch of verses the first week. So this morning, quite the same, we're only going to jump through like four verses, but it's important that we understand the basis of John's message, what he's trying to get across, right? So if you want, you can open a Bible to 1 John, uh, but I'm going to put the first couple of verses up here on the screen And then next week, we're going to spend some time really digging into it, uh, in the Bible. But the first couple of verses, John starts out, first John, like this. And he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And he uses similar phrases and similar wording. The same stuff that he uses in the Gospel of John. If you jump back to, stay in 1 John, jump back to John chapter 1, verse 1, he starts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. If you go back to 1 John chapter 2, he says the life, meaning the word of life, appeared, we've seen it, we testified to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father... And has appeared to us. Right? Kind of similar verses that he uses in John chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's not giving a whole new message here. He's just kind of rephrasing some of the same stuff he said. But in the Gospel of John, he was talking about here's what Jesus did. When he walked on the earth, when you get to back to first John, he's talking about, here's how we can live out our lives because Jesus came down and walked on the earth. And he says in verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, the difference is when you read some of Paul's letters, some of Paul's letters say, hey, I'm writing this to you so that your joy might be complete. John says, hey, I'm testifying to all this stuff and I'm writing it to you because it gives me joy to tell you about God's truth. Now, there's a, a, again, we said one of the major overarching themes of the book of 1 John is like loving one another. But there's a reason he starts out with this testimony, because another one of the themes is to combat false teachers, right? And we said before in previous messages that uh, out of the 27, 26, now I forget, 27 books of the New Testament, all 26, is it? Yeah. However many books in the New Testament, all but two of them talk about combating false teaching. All but two of them talk about the fact that we need to focus on truth. And one of the reasons John starts off is because he's like, hey, there are a lot of people at that time who were saying the same stuff they say today. Jesus doesn't exist. Uh, he wasn't really God in the flesh. He didn't really die. He didn't really come back to life. All of these same things. And here's, John does what we're supposed to do. He doesn't pull out his Bible and say, let me show you the history and let me show you all the the evidence and whatever. He just says, hey, you know what? I've seen him, I've heard him. Here's what God has done for me. You can accept it, you can believe it, you can refute it, you can hate me, you can talk bad about me, but here's what God has done. And it brings me joy to tell you, here's what God has done in my life right? That, that's one of the biggest evangelical tools that the body of Christ has, but it's one of the least used because people tell us that we have to memorize the Bible and be able to go beat people over the head with the Bible and tell them, you know, it says in Romans, it says in First Corinthians, but John doesn't do that. John just said, hey, I met him. I talked with him. He changed my life. Here is what God has done for me. And those are usually the most life-transforming testimonies when people share that. Now, uh, here's another thing John did. John, in his uh, gospel, shared in detail a story about someone else who did the same thing. And it wasn't so much false teachers, but it was those people who were trying to deny what God has done. Because people can say Jesus never existed. People can say the Bible isn't true all they want. But they can't deny what God has done in your life right? So there was this guy who was born blind and Jesus healed him. And this is what it says in John, uh, the gospel of John chapter nine, it says this, Uh, they brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind because the religious folk were like, well, that can't be true which is what we have today. A lot of people who, who uh, are changing and trying to change what God did and change the Bible, and, and all we have to do is say, well, I, you can change it all you want, but here's what God has done in my life. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. This is his testimony. He put mud in my eyes. I washed and now I can see. Now they, they criticized him. They judged him. They're like, well, you're not a real Christian. He's like, I don't care what you say. I was blind. Now I can see. Here is what Jesus did in my life, right? So uh, they then brought in his parents. They still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it? that now he can see. This is what his parents said. We know he is our son. Check. Yep, that's our son. The parents answered. We know he was born blind. Check. But now he can see, or or how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And the Bible goes on and says the reason they said that is because they were afraid of people talking about them and all the religious folks that wouldn't invite them to play golf anymore, wouldn't have them over at the country club, wouldn't invite them to their barbecues, wouldn't hang out with them after church. And so they were like, we, we, we don't want to be ostracized, so we're not going to acknowledge what Jesus did for him. And that may be true in some of our families where, uh, depending upon what God has done in your life, I know when I first committed my life to Christ and started going to church, I had family members telling me I was a part of a cult because I was spending so much time with church folks. I was just happy that people loved me, accepted me, and wanted to hang out with me. And they were criticizing me and judging me. And I'm like, you guys can talk bad about me all you want, but I know what God has done in my life, right? So then they bring him back in. And they start to question him some more. And this is his response. He answered, this is remarkable. Because the Pharisees were like, "Uh, there's got to be something wrong here. You're lying. You're not a true Christian. You're fake, whatever. And he says, this is remarkable. You don't know where he, meaning Jesus, comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you're steeped at sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They're like, hey, we don't acknowledge what you say Jesus did for you. And he's like, I don't care whether or not you acknowledge it. I don't care if you kick me out of the church. I don't care if you stop hanging out with me, stop going to lunch with me. You can talk bad about me. But I was blind. Now I can see Jesus did it. I'm going to the movies. I'm going to watch the sunset. All of these things I couldn't do before. I'm going to do now, regardless of what you say, because you can't change what God has done in my life. That's what our testimony does. We don't have to beat people over the head with the Bible. We don't have to try to drag them to our Sunday celebration. All we have to do is tell the people in our circle of influence, say, hey, here's what God has done in my life. Here's how God has transformed me. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to accept me. I'm not asking for your money. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want you to know that I have experienced the unconditional love of God. And you can too, right? So John writes, starts one of the major themes and he starts with the testimony to combat false teachers. But then he goes on, and we're going to see this over the coming weeks, to talk about unity in the church and obedience to God. Because it's not a real testimony of what God has done if like Joe is the only one out of all of us who is following God and we're all going out, you know, robbing, stealing, lying, gossiping, doing whatever. But then coming together on Sunday morning and calling ourselves the church and everyone in the community sees that, hey, Joe's the only one who's actually acting like the church. But if all of us start being obedient to God, regardless of our political uh, affiliation, regardless of our denomination, regardless of our background, our culture, black, white, rich, poor, whatever, we're all obedient to God and unified and acknowledging that God loves us. That's a powerful testimony to the world. And the main thing, really the only thing, but the main thing that God calls us to be obedient to him, only thing he asks of us is that we love God and that we love others. That if, if, if all of us are loving God and all of us are loving others, that's a powerful testimony to the world. And I've, I've, I've been a part of congregations, and some of you guys may have too, and I hear from people way more than we should about people who will walk into a congregation for the first time on a Sunday morning and because they're not dressed appropriately, they're shunned or asked not to come back, or because they're not the right race, or because they're not the right political affiliation, or because they don't agree with them on some political doctrine, or, or they don't agree with them on, on something, and they're asked not to come back. And yet the command that Jesus gives to us, right, and it's non-negotiable, it's a command, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he says it's a new command because previously, in the Old Testament, the command was, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because that was the highest form of love, self-love, right? Because I got to admit, nobody loves me more than me. You guys may like me, but I love me, like a whole lot, right? So that was the highest form of self-love. Love Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. But then Jesus comes along and shows them more love than they would show for themselves. And he says, now the command, not just love your neighbor like you love yourself, love one another the way that I have loved you, unconditionally. Despite your sins, your flaws, and all of the issues you have in your life, love be willing to sacrifice for them that's how we're supposed to love one another and he says now this is the new command love one another as i have loved you and when you do this when we love one another like that regardless of race creed culture uh denomination political affiliate when we love people like that everyone will know that you are my disciples Because the only way that we could really love people like that is by the power of God. Especially when it comes to loving our enemies, right? So, um, I went too far. This is one of the things that um, a lot of people have a hard time with, right? Uh, Loving one another. But this is one of the things that it's the easiest to show to the world. Because most of us, um, when it comes to loving one another, uh, there's one of three ways that, that, that as humans we show love. Uh, one is, um, one is when we show people we love them, we think that if we give them enough money, right, it, it shows love. And you guys are looking at me weird, but you know just as well as I do, when you give gifts to your kids or you get a, a card from somebody, first thing you do is open it and look to see if any money falls out, right? Because that's how we show love. We think the more money, and first, this is not real money, so nobody can rushing on the stage. But the more money that we give to people and hand out to people, we think that that shows love. And for those who say, well, I'm not really into money, uh, change money to gifts, right? Because a lot of us... It's even, uh, what's that book called? Uh, Love Languages or whatever it's called. One of the love languages is receiving gifts. It's because people love receiving gifts. And this is where money comes in because the more money you have, the bigger the gift. Uh, Side note, I know we're in July, so I shouldn't be talking about Christmas, but what comes to mind is those Christmas commercials where people drive up in a new Lexus wrapped in a bow as a Christmas gift. Like... Seriously, nothing to do with Christ. Maybe save that for the anniversary or a birthday gift. But, uh, and if you're able to give out cars as gift, I like Teslas. Just throwing that out there. But gift cards, same thing. People love them because gift cards can be used as what? Money. You can give a gift card to your favorite store, whether it be Michael's or Amazon or whatever. But the most accurate thing that shows love is not the gifts or the money. It's when we give people our time because that is the most valuable thing we have. If I, if I, if I give someone money, right? So if, uh, like, Beth says, hey, I need $1,000, and if I have $1,000, uh, I don't, so don't ask, but if I have $1,000 and I give it to her, I can go beg, borrow, steal, work off to gain another $1,000, Right? If Beth says, hey, Floyd, I need 20 minutes of your time, and I give her 20 minutes of my time, no way in the world can I get that 20 minutes back. I can't get it from anywhere else. And when I look back, at, and those of you who are worrying, I'm not, this is an hourglass, I'm not going to speak for a whole hour, um, so don't worry about how much time is going through. But um, if I give her that time, It's because time is precious to me, and if I'm giving it to her, that's because she is precious to me. The most valuable thing we can give and the most valuable way that we can show love is to spend time with one another. When we're young, we don't think that way. When we're older, what do we want with our kids? Time. That's after we've gotten past the stage where we want them out of the house. But once then, when we get older, we're like, oh, I just want some time with the kids, with the grandkids, with the family. And we look back on the time that we missed out on. And that's why when you're young, your parents were always like, oh, take the time, spend time with the family, do this. And you're like, no, I want to go hang out. I want to go do whatever. Because we realize that this is the most precious thing on the planet because you can't get it from anywhere. So God, who loved us unconditionally, who wasn't bound by time, we're all bound by this, right? We, time is just ticking away, right? But God is not bound by time. So to show his love for humanity, he stepped into time and spent his time with humanity then gave his life for humanity. And the only thing that he asks us to do is to love other people like that, where we're willing to take the time to spend with them, to love on them, to show them that they mean just as much to us as we mean to God. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, God, we pray that as we leave here today, that all of the people that we encounter, that as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that we would be able to show love to them, that we would be willing to give our time to them, that we would be willing to share our story with them and that we would be willing to share our lives with them. God, we are so grateful that you loved us enough to give us the most important thing in the universe, time with you. And because of that, we pray that we would be willing to share it with others. We pray that in the days and weeks ahead as we continue to walk through your word, that you would bring into our hearts and into our minds those people in our circles of influence who are desperately in need of your unconditional love and that you would allow us to share our stories with them and share our lives with them and invite them to be a part of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 10.37 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.